Hello, and welcome to this live recording from Mount Pleasant Baptist Church. This message was given by Peter Christofides at our Kubalup campus. So sit back, listen in, and enjoy what God's got to say to you. We start a new series building up to Christmas uh, today on love, the extravagant love of God. And this morning I'm going to share with you on saving love, saving love. And then we'll um, have communion together uh, to experience uh, some of that saving love of God. Without a doubt... We know that John 3.16 is probably the most quoted verse in the Bible, both in the Old and New Testaments. Uh, If you look at big sports games uh, that are televised or non-televised, you'll see somebody standing there with a placard, John 3.16. You know what they're talking about. You might get somebody that actually just puts lately the numbers 3 colon 16 you know what it's about. Some people have put their hero's name there. Bob 316 or uh, whoever 316 and you know what it's about. And so it's almost as if that person is their savior. In 2012, this is an interesting statistic, somebody put John 316 on their helmet in one of their sports games. And during that game, the, the verse, John 3.16, was Googled 12 million times during that sports game. And so it is common, but is it a reality and a truth for people uh, that we come into contact with? I think it's fair to say that John 3.16 is the gospel in a nutshell. The gospel in a nutshell. And that being as it is, we can often get complacent and not take its seriousness uh, anymore. Let me try and put it in the context. We know that in John chapter 3, this man, Nicodemus, a religious Jew, comes to Jesus. He comes at night wanting to inquire uh, who Jesus is. And Jesus explains to him that you need to be born again. And Nicodemus says, what does that mean? Do I need to uh, be born, go back into my mother's womb? And how does that work? And Jesus says to him, there is a physical birth, but there is also a spiritual birth. And that's why John, uh, Jesus says to him in John 3, 3, you must be born again. Terrible translation. It actually is born from above. Yenisi anothen. Born from above. In other words, there's got to be an interaction from above to the true and living God. And as you have this interaction, you become born again, change of heart. You are going in one direction, you're going 180 degrees in the other direction. And so he says you must be born again. So that's the context. And within that context, let me read uh, just a couple of verses from John 3, verses 14 to 16. So Jesus is explaining about the spiritual birth, and he says, just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up. That everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. For God so loved the world that he gave his only or his one and only son. That whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. When I still had hair, I was able to memorize John 3.16 in the King James Version. And it goes like this. I love it. For God so loveth the world that he gave his only begotten son. That whosoever believeth in him 
will not perish but have everlasting life. Wow, it sounds more spiritual. The point is still the same. Many know John 3.16, but is it a reality in their lives? It's interesting to note that who is the subject of God's love? Well, it's the Greek word cosmos, people. Not cosmos as in little flower or nature or kind of living wildlife. No, it is people. The word cosmos means inhabitants of the earth, the human family. For God so loved humanity, the human family, that he gave his son. I've got a 12-year-old son, as you know. Wow. I cannot fathom losing him. I cannot fathom giving him away. Neither can you fathom a child being given or taken away. But here we see that it is so shocking for Nicodemus because he is under the impression that the only people that God loves is the nation of Israel. Because the rest of us, so only Jewish people, are the favored people of Israel. Gentiles, or anybody who's not from the tribe or the nation of Israel, is not worthy of God's love. And so this is shocking to Nicodemus. And I want to just share a few points about the love of God this morning. And you begin to realize, or perhaps re-realize, what it means to have the love of God bestowed upon you and upon me. Number one, the love of God is impartial. It's impartial. Um, we, we spend much of our lives trying to earn the respect of somebody else because uh, we want to gain their favor. You know, a, a mother or a father who... who uh, says, listen, if you do certain things, I will love you a little bit more. I will love you a little bit more. Kind of the, this whole idea of law versus grace. Because, Sonny, if you pass your exams well, I will love you even more. Son, if you hit a home run, wow, you'll be my favorite. <laughs> Daughter, if you throw a few goals, you will be so loved by me. But friends, if you spiritualize that, we often think that when we obey the Ten Commandments or we abide by the Sermon on the Mount, then God loves us even more. Let me say this, that God's love is impartial. There cannot be anything more that we can do to earn the favor and trust of God, apart from being faithful. And I really believe that once we experience the love of God, we we begin to go, uh, and I don't know, these three Greek words, wow, wow, wow. You begin to experience it so profoundly that you cannot turn away from it because it is unbiased and it's equal to everybody who believes in the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus never said, when you abide by the Sermon on the Mount, or in the Old Testament, Jewish people, if you obey the Ten Commandments, I will show favor. No. The love of God is equal on whoever believes. Remember the story of Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus comes to Jesus. And Jesus says to him, Zacchaeus, I know you're a tax collector. And Zacchaeus knew that he was bad news. In fact, he was a crook. Because being a tax collector, you would go to somebody's home, evaluate their contents, and whatever you feel to give to the Roman rulers, you give to them, and you keep the rest for yourself. And so Nicodemus 
uh, um, Zacchaeus uh, is in, Jesus says to him, I'm going to come to your home. And friends, culture would have it at the time that there would be hospitality. They would sit and they would spend quite a few hours together over a meal. And he was challenged by Jesus. And he couldn't fathom why Jesus would allow him to, uh, to express his love for him. Such a crook. And that's who Jesus really loves. The bigger the crook, the more Jesus... It's impartial, but he loves the crook just as much. Nothing like contradicting your sermon, is it? Jesus never said to him, Nicodemus, you need to change your ways first, and then I'll love you. No. He loved him just as much as he loves you, and he loves me today. And that love was so overwhelming for Zacchaeus, he goes and he changes his ways. And that's what the love of God does. It changes who we are. And so he goes and he says, I'm going to give back whatever I've stolen, and I will give back to God and to the poor four times more. Wow, that's a change of heart because of the saving love of God that is impartial. Secondly, the love of God is perfect. It's perfect. Many human relationships that we know about uh, go on, on this positive and negative, this win or lose game. You know, if you love me a bit more, then I will show you my favor. And then we, we kind of positive and negative. And often, as I said earlier, in our, uh, as parents, we say to our kids, well, you know what, I will love you a bit more if you do certain things. Well, the love of God is perfect. We can never do more to earn his love and uh, his respect. Sonny, daughter, if you stop swearing, I will love you even more. No. The love of God to sinners is absolutely perfect. We read about it in 1 John 4.10. The Bible says, Love consists in this colon, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the atoning sacrifice for our sins. No ifs, no buts. He loves us just as we are. And that love is so amazing that it actually transforms who we are because it is so perfect. I don't know what these two words mean, but they sound good. His love is not spasmodic or it's not fickle. <laughs> it is perfect. My love toward people is spasmodic and fickle. Depends on my mood. Depends whether you've harmed me or not. That's how we are as human people. But the love of Christ, the love of God is perfect. In Romans 1.5, we read that Jesus loves us and washes us from our sins. Well, interesting there, there is not uh, he first washes us and then loves us. No, look at the protocol there. It actually says God loves us in our dirty sins. The word love is not the word philo, loves us as a mate. No, it's the word agape, which means this, this unconditional love. And because he loves us, he washes us. The word washes, luo there, he bathes us. He actually comes alongside us and he sees the wounds of our sins and he opens them up and he wipes them clean the way a doctor or nurse cleanses our wounds. That's what Jesus does. His love is demonstrated by him washing us and making us pure so those wounds can be healed properly. It, it is the love 
that is perfect. He takes you and me in our BC days, in our before Christ days, and He loves us just as we are. But He loves us too much to leave us just the way we are. And His love is absolutely perfect. Some people have taken that love and they said, well, there's, no matter what I do, it doesn't really matter. Uh, God still loves me. Well, friends, that's partially true. If you've experienced the love of God, your life will change. Your life will change. And so the true experience of who God is allows us to uh, be fulfilled. And in appreciation for who He is, we respond in a godly manner. Then the love of God is incomparable. You cannot compare the love of God to anything else on this earth. And deep down inside, those who are aware of God know that that's the truth. In fact, that's the prayer that Paul prayed for people. At the office, we uh, get uh, birthday cards uh, that we need to fill out. And uh, whenever you fill something out, you say, happy birthday. And you try and leave a verse behind. And this is the verse that I normally leave behind, Ephesians 3. 17 to 19, uh, just to sound spiritual. And it, it's Paul writing, and he says, I pray that you, being rooted and firmly established in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the length and width, heights and depths of God's love, and to know Christ's love that surpasses knowledge, so that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Let me spend one minute on that, uh, those verses. I pray that you be rooted. The word rooted there, uh, rizor, means that you are thoroughly grounded. That you're thoroughly grounded. In other words, you're not just fake when something happens, you know, drought or strong sun, that you die. No, that you are solidly rooted in what? Well, he carries on and actually says, and firmly established. <laughs> In case you didn't understand that you need to be solidly rooted, well, you need to have a firm foundation. That word, uh, themelio, means that your foundation is strong. So come what may, you will stand strong. In what? In love. It's not the phileo love, it's agape love. That you may be able to comprehend, to seize and take possession of. So you actually begin to to fathom this, and you're solidly rooted, and in that solid rooting and solid foundation, you are able to take possession of what? The love of God. Wow. And so, you comprehend it, comprehend how amazing it is, the length and width. Folks, those words that are used there are just a sermon on their own. And, And the height and depth of God's love. And to know, Unosco, not just uh, uh, another love of God. No, you know absolutely. You know absolutely. It's a reality. It's a truth. We sang about it. It's a truth, the love of God. And you know that truth, Christ's love that surpasses knowledge, so that you may be filled, interesting there, filled with all the fullness, same root word there, filled with all the fullness, pliro, and pliroma, the completion of what? Of God. And where is that found? It's found on the cross of Calvary. So there's been many great love stories in the world. We've read them in stories. But friends, the greatest love story ever, ever, is the love, not of Samson and Delilah, not of people that have not been able to or or ended off well. No, 
It's the love story that put Jesus on the cross of Calvary. You cannot compare that with any love this side of eternity. The love of God is incomparable, I suggest to you. Fourthly, the love of God is generous. Generous. We read that in 1 Corinthians 13. When I do premarital counseling, I make sure that the couple know that uh, if you want to be selfish, don't get married. Because humans are selfish. That's why Paul said, when I was a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child. Because children are selfish. But when it comes to love, the love of God is generous, and we too are to be generous in our love. As we express our love to our partner, so they know that we love them, and that's great. Put that on spiritual steroids. That's the love of God. And if you read uh, the characteristics of love, In 1 Corinthians 13, you begin to realize how awesome and generous is the love of God. And it's not about self. It's about the other person. Love is patient. Love is kind. It doesn't boast. It doesn't envy. It's not full of itself. That's about the other person, you see. It's not about me. And friends, the love of God is generous. It gives of itself. No wonder we read in 1 John 4, 9, God's love was revealed among us in this way. God sent His one and only Son into the world so that we might live through Him. The word revealed, fanero, it's visible. It's visible. In other words, God demonstrated and revealed His love for us by putting Jesus on the cross because that's what we needed. And so the love of God is evident and revealed through His Son, Jesus Christ. I'm not into biblical art. But there are some pictures that just bowl me over. And I saw one recently of Jesus on the cross. And the inscription underneath that said, Greater love. No, it said this. This is how much God loves you. This is how much God loves you. And that took me back to John chapter 15, verse 13. Greater love is no man that he give his life for his friend. That he give his life for his friend. I cannot fathom that. And I don't want to fathom that. It is too mind-blowing. But the love of God is generous. It gives. And when it's finished giving, it gives some more. That's the love of God. Finally, the love of God is endless. It's endless. When it comes to human love, we know that we fall in love and we fall out of love. You hear stories like that. But the love of God, friends, never fails, and it endures forever. We read about that in, in this beautiful passage in the book of Lamentations, chapter 3, verses 22 and 23. It says, the steadfast love. That, those two words there, steadfast love, chesed, it means the kindness, the beauty, the favor, the mercy of God. Steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. We sing about that. His mercies never come to an end. In case you didn't understand it, we read about it again. The steadfast love of the Lord, His favor for you and for me, never ceases. It never comes to an end. In other words, that that word never, kala, means it doesn't perish, it cannot be destroyed, it doesn't expire. Whatever you pick up nowadays, uh, eat before this date, use by date. The love of God, His favor, does not expire. 
It's not spasmodic. It's not fickle. It is endless. His mercies are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Folk, I don't know if you've read the prophet Hosea in the Old Testament. Here is a man who's a prophet. God says to him, I want to give you a wife. He goes, yes. But Hosea, she's going to be a prostitute. I want you to go and marry a prostitute, Hosea. Uh, Lord, maybe uh, you got this one wrong. I know that you're infallible, but I think you got this one wrong. God says, no, go. He marries her. And the first few years, she's very, very faithful. Then after a while, and they have three kids uh, together. Uh, they have two boys and a girl. And after a while, Hosea wakes up in the morning and Goma is gone. He goes, cannot find her. One day goes to an auction and he sees his wife there naked being sold as a slave. And he goes with whatever he's got and he bids for her and he wins her over and he buys her. And he says, I'm going to teach you a lesson. I'm going to make you work like a slave for me. And when you finish working like a slave to pay back what you owe me, I'm going to get you stoned so I cannot be embarrassed and get my integrity back. Is that what Hosea does? Absolutely not. He goes and he wins her over. Where God won you and me over. In our fickleness. When we were unfaithful. When we were sinners. He came and he won us over. He says, now if you want to come to the kingdom of God, I'm going to make you pay a little bit. That's not God. And that's not Hosea. And God allows Hosea to buy her back. And he takes her and he says, here are three children. I want you to be a mother to them again. You're my wife. I forgive you. And I want you to be my wife again. And that was an amazing illustration of the love of God toward Israel. God being Hosea and Israel being Goma, the prostitute. And despite Israel, despite Goma, God still loves her. God still loves you and he loves me, despite us turning our back on God. What an amazing love story. What an amazing love story. Friends, that's the love of God that is endless. His mercies are new every morning. His favor is for you and for me. I want to end off by telling you, or just reading a passage, because you might be sitting here this morning and you say, well, you know what, I know about the love of God, but I'm not really experiencing it. Well, there is this amazing verse, or two verses in Jude, verse 20 and 21. And it says, but you, beloved, building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God. That word keep, tireo, means guard yourselves. Prevent the love of God from escaping from you. And it's like a fortress, that fortress up there. When, when you take somebody captive, you keep them there. Well, guess what? When you experience the love of God, you never want to be outside of it. It's like if this is the love of God and it goes around here, I want to be in the center of it. Sometimes we step out of it. Sometimes we go and visit where where we don't belong. Perhaps you're there now this morning. 
and you have perhaps stepped out of that circle and you're not fully experiencing the love of God, come back. Come back. Clearly, clearly you know the love of God. And clearly you've seen the demonstration of the love of God on the cross of Calvary. Come back. I urge you to come back to the inner circle, if you like, and experience not just the love of God, but the fullness of the love of God. The height, the depth, the width of His amazing love. A love that is beyond what you and I can ever imagine. But we need to come back and experience it. It's like the sunshine. If we go into the shade, we don't experience the sunshine. And the love of God is like being in that sunshine. But we can choose to go in the shade and not experience the fullness of that sunshine. I pray, as we share in communion now, that you will come back. Come back to the inner circle. Perhaps you've been in the shade. Step in to the sunshine. It's the greatest place to be. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your goodness. We thank you for your love. We thank you, Lord, that while we were yet sinners, you died for us. Father, we cannot comprehend the extravagant love of a father to send their son to meet our needs. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, that you came. Thank you, Lord. Lord, make that a reality for us, we pray, that we might experience it to the fullness. In Jesus' name. Amen. Look, I just want to read your story. You know the story so well. It's three parables that Jesus told. And the one about the lost sheep. Somebody had... 99 sheep, but one went lost. What did this man do? He went to go and look for that one lost sheep. There was a woman who had this beautiful headdress. She got married in it, beautiful coins. One of them went missing. She turned the house upside down to find that one, because that's what would make her complete. And then this amazing story. You know it. Let me remind you of it, please. Luke 15, 11. Jesus continued, There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together. All he had set off to a distant country, and there squandered his wealth and wild living. After he had spent everything there, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to the fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired men have food to spare? Here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired men. So he got up and went to his father. Listen to this, folk. Listen to this. 
But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and he was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son and threw his arms around him and kissed him. That is the love of God. You ratbag son, I'm going to embarrass you because you embarrassed me. You wished me dead. No. The father saw him from a distance. I don't care what other people think. And I'm not on the sports field. He ran up to his son and he hugged him and he kissed him. And they began to celebrate. That is the love of the father. Imagine the love of God for you and for me. It is extravagant. It is the saving love that we don't deserve, but that he gives to you and to me. Friends, the communion table is an illustration of that. The love that is demonstrated by Jesus dying on the cross, you know it so well. The night Jesus was betrayed, took the bread, he said, this is my body given for you. Same way, took the cup, new covenant. All those rules and regulations, they've come to fulfillment in my blood on the cross for the forgiveness of your sins. That is not just talking about love, that's a demonstration of the love of God, where he, his body was given for you and for me. His blood was shed for you and for me for the forgiveness of our sins. Won't you come, take a piece of bread demonstrating his body, that he wants to be reconciled back to us, his blood that is a demonstration of that love for the forgiveness of our sins, and keep it and we'll eat and drink together to show our unity in Christ and to celebrate the saving love of God. If you don't know the saving love of God, this is the time to remember it, to make it real in your life. Perhaps you've moved outside that circle of his inner love, come back inside. Perhaps you've moved into the shade of his amazing, lovely sunshine as a metaphor of his love. Step out of that shade and experience the awesome love of God. We hope you enjoyed this message from Mount Pleasant Baptist Church. If you'd like to talk to someone about what you've heard today, then you can contact the team at Mount Pleasant Baptist Church by calling the office during office hours on 9329-1777. Thanks for joining us. We look forward to your company again soon. God bless.